0: that he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So tonight we pray, God, that we would hear what your Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name we pray, and from wherever you are, you say a strong and a loud amen, amen. We're at Job chapter 36. Yes, this is our second to last study in the book of Job, in the face of suffering. And we've now gone almost... 13 weeks in Job now, 13 studies in Job. But tonight's message is titled this, God Speaks in the Storm. And if you like taking notes, why don't you write that down? God Speaks in the Storm, because here finally, in tonight's message, we are going to see that God now confronts Job and his friends with his presence. I think it's so amazing that we are confronted with the presence of God in our time of need. In fact, in Job, we have not seen God speak to them since Job chapter 2. God has been silent. And Job has done the talking and his friends have done the talking. But now God is going to speak here as Elihu comes to an end of his very lengthy and long-winded speech to Job. Now, Elihu was the youngest of Job's friends. And we learned from Job. I'm going to give you a quick summary uh, so that you understand what's taking place here in chapter 36. 36 long chapters later, we learned that number one, Job is a just man. He's a blameless man. He's upright. He fears God and he shunned evil. But he got tried and he got tested Now, he maintained his integrity throughout the entire process of being tested and of being tried, and he did not give up his integrity. And his friends came and visited him in his pain, and his trial, after his children were taken from him, after his land and his territory was taken from him, after boils filled his body from head to toe, and he's finally sitting in ashes now, now completely now devastated for the trial that is at hand. His friends come to him, and for seven days they say nothing. <laughs> But then after the seventh day, his friends begin to speak now. And his first friend, Eliaphas speaks from personal experience. I, I want you to remember this because Eliaphas says this, that he, he looked at personal experience and he made an observation. And he told Job, from my personal experience, only the wicked and the sinful people suffer. And he teaches them that, that sin brings about suffering. Now he goes and he says, my personal experience tells me that sin brings suffering. So, Joe, you must have sinned in your life. And Eliaphaz is telling him this. Then Bildad comes, the next friend, and he comes with a philosophical tradition. So Eliaphaz comes with now a personal experience of his own. Then Bildad comes with a philosophical tradition that says the tradition of our fathers tells us that yes, sin now brings suffering. And he goes from the position of tradition, one from experience, the other one from tradition, Bildad. Then Zophar comes and he starts to speak as he's there listening. And Zophar comes with a dogmatic analysis of what's taking place in Job's life. What does he say now? He said, I'm looking at you, Job, personally. And Zophar says, I know that you're a hypocrite, Job. You're guilty, Job. And he considers Job now not only guilty, but deserving of everything that's taking place in his life. And said, Job, just admit it. You are a sinful man. Your your life is filled with hypocrisy, Zophar is saying. So just repent now and confess to God that you are not a man of integrity. You are not blameless now. Zophar says this. So it was personal experience, it was tradition, it was hypocrisy that they were coming against Job with. And then Elihu now comes as the youngest one and he claims that he has true wisdom that the others didn't. (laughs) Now he comes now with an understanding. He says, I have anointing. I have the Spirit of God that's upon me, Elihu says. And he is the one that speaks the longest. (laughs) And Elihu is the one that's saying, you know what, I have knowledge that you do not have. You know, earlier someone told me, well, Elihu is so annoying. And yes, he is. Because he comes with a lot of knowledge, but he comes with zero wisdom. You know how annoying that sounds when you know a lot. However, you don't know how to apply wisdom with that knowledge. Well, that's exactly what Elihu is doing. How many times have been those moments where we ourselves have been an Elihu in someone's life when they're going through a trial? That we want to come in and throw at them knowledge and facts and, and just so much content and maybe even doctrine. But we do it without wisdom. And in fact, people in the moment of trial do not need a lecture. What they need is love. Did you notice that? They don't need a lecture. What they do need is love. And everything that Elihu has been saying for the last about three to four chapters thus far, everything that he says about God, Elihu, is true. Nothing is false. However, he's saying it to the wrong person now. However, because he's saying everything true about God, we are going to learn from his speech, theology, or we're gonna learn the study about God now as he culminates this very long speech. Now, Elihu, he talks about the justice of God. He talks about the goodness of God. He talks about the majesty of God. But one thing that we must remember that when we are ministering to people in suffering, we it's not that we want them to experience guilt we want them to experience grace now i'm going to say that again because i think that you need to remember that tonight when people are going through suffering it is not that we want them to experience guilt we want them to experience grace and these men came wanting to now convict job in their own human understanding they wanted him to feel guilty Now, in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, just write this down. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Now, let's just say that Job had done something wrong. Let's just say that Job had sinned. Our responsibility as a believer is to restore someone in the spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, had you been tempted as well? Just imagine you're going through a trial. Do you want someone to come to you with with guilt and with shame and and, and condemnation? Or do you want them to come so that you can experience grace? The Bible says, it is the goodness of God that draws a sinner to repentance. And this is exactly what they needed to learn. The grace of God. Now, Job chapter 36, let's learn, let's read here as we we continue to learn, Elihu proceeded and said, now, he's going to continue his lengthy speech, and in this next chapter here, he ends the speech, but he says this as he's proclaiming the goodness of God. He says this, bear with me a little, just be patient with me. I'm speaking on behalf of God. I want you to give me just a a little more time, and and this tells us that he had gone for a very long time now. (laughs) Look what he says in verse two, bear with me a little, and I will show you that there yet are words to speak on God's behalf. In fact, I'm speaking on God's behalf. There's more that I need to say, and I'm gonna show you now. Look what he says. I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I'm gonna tell you something deep. I'm gonna tell you something that is profound from afar that you don't know yet. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. I will tell you about the righteousness of God. For truly my words are not false. What I'm speaking, it is not false. One who is perfect or one who is great here, verse 4, in knowledge is with you. Now, do you see how he speaks about himself? I'm going to tell you something that's deep, that is profound. Nothing in me is a lie. Nothing but truth is found on me. I am one that is perfect or is great in knowledge. This young man is filled with pride. You see, that knowledge without wisdom is in maturity, as we've mentioned before. And we go on and we continue to read because he's going to talk about God and how God rewards now the obedient now and he looks at the innocent. Let's look at the characteristics of God that here Allah who tells us behold look God is mighty he is powerful but despises no one Job felt like he was being despised by God God is mighty in strength he is mighty in understanding and in power it says he is mighty in strength of understanding or in strength And in heart, God is mighty. He is strong. He is powerful. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but He gives justice to the oppressed. God doesn't defend the wicked, He's saying here, but He gives justice now, or He does not let the wicked live, but He gives now justice to the afflicted now and to those that are oppressed now, those He does defend. Now, He's now explaining to Job, The justice and the nature of God here, he goes in verse 7 and says this, He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, for he has seated them forever and they are exalted. And if they are bound in feeders or in chains, held in cords of affliction, then he tells them their works and their transgressions, they have acted defiantly. Now God does not turn his back on the innocent. God does not turn his back on those that are righteous. He says it in verse 7. He doesn't withdraw his eyes from them. Job felt like God had turned his back on him. Job felt like God was not near him. That God didn't understand him. That God wasn't hearing his cry. Now Elihu says this. Well, wait a minute, Job. I want you to know this. God does not turn his back. God, in fact, does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. He hears the righteous. He looks at the righteous. In fact, he exalts them in thrones with kings now, and he has them sit there forever. What does he tell them? God is not ignoring you. And maybe right now you are in a place of suffering, and you need to hear this. God is not ignoring you. God is not ignoring your cry. God is not ignoring your suffering or your moment of pain now, and he's speaking to him now. And he says in verse 8 and 9, in fact, if they are bound in chains now, if they're bound in cords of feeders now or they're held back in cords of affliction or in suffering, then He tells them their works. If they are deserving of judgment, God doesn't now keep them guessing as, as to what they did and why they're becoming and being disciplined. He lets them know. And He tells us in verse, uh, verse 9, it says, He tells them their works and their transgressions that they have acted out defiantly or proudful. You think God is a God of confusion? No, He's not. He's not a God of confusion. He's not a God that keeps now this from you. He's not a God that ignores you. In fact, he will let you know when you are acting out in defiance. He will let you know when you are becoming rebellious. He will let you know when you're becoming proud. And that's what he says in verse nine. Now in verse 10, it says he opens their ear to instruction. He will even open your ear to instruction. God is fair. God is not unjust. He will let you know. He will open your ears to instruction. He will get your attention. And He will command that you will turn from evil. Do you see how merciful and compassionate God is? That it's not like He lets you walk ignorantly in your sin. God will never let you walk ignorantly in your sin. He will always allow you to know the conviction through His Spirit. Of what's taking place, he's speaking here saying, God is a just God, He is not unfair, it says. And He commands that they turn from iniquity. God is commanding that we all turn from iniquity. In fact, he's saying, God gives many opportunities that you turn. If they obey and serve Him, they shall spend their days in prosperity. And if they repent, those that hear, they shall spend their their days in prosperity, or they will turn their lives and start to serve God in obedience, and their years in pleasures now. What would have to take place for this pleasure and this prosperity to take place? Well, in verse 11, it says, if they obey and they serve Him. How will they spend their days? They're going to spend their days in prosperity, and they're going to spend their days in pleasure. You see, there is nothing more now fulfilling. There is nothing more satisfying. There is nothing that gives you more pleasure now. There is nothing that gives you more prosperity or fruitfulness in your life than obeying and serving God. The moment that you stop obeying God and you stop serving Him with your life, you're gonna find yourself struggling and frustrated in life, right? He's saying because it's the most fulfilling thing to obey and to serve God even in trials, even through those seasons. And he says, but if they do not obey, but if you choose to rebel, if you choose to disobey, look how fair God is. Now he applies the discipline. They shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. They shall be like those that are dying without understanding. They will suffer now for lack of obedience. How many are the times that we are suffering? Because we've placed ourselves in a position that God never wanted us to be a part of, because we rebelled against God, because we chose not to serve him. Because we said, Lord, we don't want to obey you because we became proud and hard at heart. Now we are suffering. There are many times we ask God, Lord, take me out of this situation. And as we pray that, we ought to ask ourselves, what got us in here? Was it our disobedience? Was it us being impulsive? Was it our rebellion here? Because Elihu is speaking about the justice of God. And he says in verse 13, but the hypocrites in the heart, they store up wrath. You know why in their hearts, hypocrites store up wrath and anger and judgment? They store up anger and judgment because they don't cry for help when He binds them. You see, our responsibility is that when we feel bound or when we are going through a trial, is that we would do one thing, cry out for help. Are you crying out for help today? Or are you you holding on to resentment and to bitterness and to pride that you don't want to ask for help? The one number one thing that, that keeps us from, from becoming accountable to the Lord, to His Word, and to others is that we don't want to ask for help. We become proud in our hearts. We become very bitter and hard at heart and think that we don't need anyone's help. That we don't think that we need God's help. In fact, that makes us a hypocrite. <laughs> because you do need God's help and, and, and you are choosing now. You are failing to cry out for help here. In verse 13 he says... They die in youth, and their life ends among the perverted persons, or they will die among those that are living a wasteful and immoral life. How much time have we wasted because we don't want to cry out for help to the Lord? How many time, How much time have we wasted because we don't want to repent before God? Think about how much time was wasted when we turned our back on the Lord and we were living without Him. He's speaking about a life without the Lord. Now he's saying, verse 15, he delivers the poor in their affliction and he opens the ear in oppression. Those that are poor, those that are innocent, those that are going through suffering. He delivers now and he opens their ears in oppression now. God is there available. He gets their attention now as they're going through suffering and he looks and he seeks to deliver them from their suffering. This is who the Lord is. Indeed, verse 16, he would have brought you out from dire distress. And God wants to deliver you too, Job. (laughs) Just like he delivers the poor and the innocent, and he gets their attention in suffering, and he delivers them, he wants to deliver to you too. God wants to lead you astray from danger, Job, even through suffering now. And he's telling them this through dire distress. He wants to free you from distress. Isn't that amazing, that comforting that we know that he wants to free us from distress? But in verse 17, he says this, into a broad place. This is amazing. God wants to take you from a place where you feel bound, where you feel held back to a broadest place where you can feel free. Just like that song we sang. And it says, where there is no restraint, where nothing is holding you, where you are bound by nothing. And what is set on your tables would be full of riches, so that you would be set free and you would be sitting at a table with the best, of foods and the riches of foods and delicacies before you to enjoy just think about what god has for you now Allah is saying "Job, but you are filled with the judgment due to wicked judgment and justice take hold of you but joe you are so obsessed whether the godless would die don't worry about that <laughs> justice and judgment will be upheld by god but well, Job, you can experience this as well, the deliverance, the sitting at the table, the riches and the delicacies of his food, but you are so obsessed, Job. For some reason, whether the wicked will get away, and how come they do get away, don't worry about that, Job. Justice from God will be upheld. How many times are we so focused on, why are they getting away? But I have to suffer in pain, and I'm following the Lord. Now Elihu starts to exhort Job, and he says, Job, don't worry about that. <laughs> You will be delivered now, should you so choose to turn to God. Now he's applying it on the wrong context, but he's saying the truth here. Let's continue reading verse 18. Because there is wrath or anger, beware lest he take you away with one blow. For a large ransom would not help you avoid it. But beware, be careful. Be careful that you're taking away. Be careful that you are seduced in this suffering be careful that you're led astray now by what he's saying by ransom or by money be on guard that you're not bribed by wealth through your suffering be, be on guard that you are not now uh, manipulated or seduced now because wealth cannot keep you from pain no matter how much money you have If you're chasing money, it cannot keep you from pain or from distress or from anxiety. Think about even the time that we're going through right now. There is no one that is escaping now the threat of a certain sickness. There is nothing, nothing that you can do to escape pain. No matter how much money you have, there is nothing that you can do to escape escape affliction. No matter how much money. And that's what he's telling, beware that you try to trust in money. He goes on in verse 19, will your riches or all, mighty, or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? No, they won't. Do you, do you desire the night where people are cut off in their place? Do you think that you can hide out at night? Don't try to hide out at night because at night people are destroyed now. And in fact, not only he goes out to that, but he says in verse 21, don't turn to sin. See, there are often times in our life Where we're going through suffering and we think that what's happening to us is very unfair. And immediately what we do is we go to sin. Because we lose our patience. Because we we, we take our eyes off the Lord. And we start to compromise in the suffering. We start to believe that, you know what, what's taking place in our life is unjust is unfair and in order to be able to now sit in our misery or in the distress or in the discouragement we go and we turn to sin now he's telling them in verse 21 do not turn to sin and i want to encourage you right now don't turn to sin right now don't compromise in these moments because you're not hearing what you want to hear because you're not getting what you want to get because you don't have the answers to the to the questions that you've been begging for for a long time don't turn to sin and he tells him that in verse 20 now, 21, take heed, do not turn to iniquity, for you have chosen this rather than affliction. You have a choice now to make now. And he's really telling him there's no true enjoyment outside of God. Understand that, learn that Job, and I want you to comprehend that. He goes on from verse 22 and 23 to speaks of, of God's power now. And he tells him this, behold, God is exalted by His power, who teaches like Him, who, who can teach like, like God because He's exalted in power? His, the greatness of the power of God? Or who has assigned Him His way? Or who can say, you have done wrong? Who can, who, who's put God in authority or in His place? In fact, who can correct God and tell Him that He's done wrong? If God is great in power. He then tells us that God is great in majesty as well in verse 24. He says, remember to magnify His work. Now, I want you to underline that in your Bible. Remember to magnify His work. In suffering through trial in a season like this, we should remember to worship. We should remember to praise now. Because in verse 24, He's telling them, Remember to magnify His work of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar or from a distant. They see the mighty work of God, his wonders, his power, his hand working. And they magnify the work and everyone sings now. You see, here he thought that Job had a very low view of God and that Job had a high view of himself. See, when you have a high view of yourself, you have a low view of God and it kills your worship. So here he's telling them, I want you to understand the greatness of God, Job, because in your estimation, you are so great that you are not worshiping Him. You know, the evidence of, that we are learning in, in, in trials is that we're praising God and thanking God in trials. You wanna know someone that's actually learning in trials? Look at the people that are praising God and are thanking God in trials. Those are the ones that are learning in trials. Because praise is, change now or praises change things just as much as prayer changes things you see how how praises and prayer are so important in your life not only prayer but also thanksgiving that is accompanied by praise it's all needed in the the moment of suffering And that's what he wants to teach him here. You have to come to the Lord and praise him. Now in verse 26, Behold, God is great and we do not know him. We don't understand the greatness of God. We can't even comprehend how great he is. Nor can the number of his years be discovered. We cannot fully grasp now the number of God's years. For he draws up drops of water. Now look what he speaks about how God is the creator. He says, now he draws up these, these drops of water or he draws up water vapor and he distills it now into rain which drops all over the earth. Verse 27, which distill as rain from the midst. Now look at how he speaks about the Lord that creates the rain. He grabs up just water vapor and from the moist, He now creates rain and it falls on the earth, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Everyone benefits from the work of God. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunders from His canopy? Can anyone understand now the thunder that rolls from heaven now, that comes out of the presence of God, that pours abundantly? Can anyone understand how now He allows His water to come forth from heaven? And he goes on, look, he scatters his light upon them and covers the depths of the sea. What light is he speaking about? The lightning. Look and behold, from all every direction, there's lightning all over the earth. And his light is so strong that even in the deepest, darkest places of the ocean and the sea now, his light is seen and it's examined. Oh, this is so incredible. For by these he judges, by these mighty acts, by the mighty acts of the thunder and the, the 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 storm and the rain now by these mighty acts he judges the people verse 31 he judges the people he gives food in abundance and he covers his hands with lightning with lightning bolts <laughs> Just think about it when you're outside and, or maybe throughout the time of rain and you're looking out the window and you see the rain coming down hard and the lightning bolts that are going from one a- a- a place to the another place and you think about the hand of God that is directing, that is orchestrating, that is behind all of that and how He thunders and how He rolls uh, now this thunder from heaven from one side now to the other. Now I was going to go to Job chapter now, Job chapter here, verse 32, it says, Now he covers his hands with lightning and he commands it to strike. His thunder declares it and the cattle also concerning the rising storm. What does he do here? What is he speaking about? It's the Lord who commands it. It's the Lord who has him strike thunder in one area and another as a target now. And he is now announcing his presence through the thunder and through the lightning now. He's speaking. speaking. But in Job now, chapter 37, we're going to see that he's going to speak about God's Word and God's wisdom. Because as he's speaking about this, and he's giving an example of thunder, rain, and lightning, and a storm, and water now. He's seeing a storm building up now, coming towards Job and his friends. And as he sees the storm that is building and coming to Job and his friends, he's seeing, I see God in the storm. Now I want to ask you, do you see God in the storm? Because God is present in the storm. And Elijah's talking about these attributes, and he's actually using the current events around him to describe God, as he sees the thunder rolling up, and he sees now the rain, and he sees now this, this huge lightning that is coming. He's seeing, I see God in the storm. Now worship God. He's, he's trying to have Job understand that there is a lot about God that he doesn't know. And, and look here in verse 37, verse 1. At this also my heart trembles, or, or my heart is pounding now. Look, at my heart is pounding. I'm scared. I'm fearful. And leaves from his place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends forth under the whole earth. His lightning to the ends of the earth. After it is a voice that roars, he thunders with a majestic voice and does not restrain them when his voice is heard now what is he saying here in the first four verses he's saying just like you hear the storm and the thunder and the rain that is the voice of god that is the strength and the power and the presence and the powerful voice of god that roars in majesty and it doesn't hold back it doesn't restrain he doesn't restrain his voice when he speaks Let's read here in verse five, God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. Do you you see here that not only he sees God in the storm, but also God is going to speak out of the storm? God is going to speak out of the storm. The New Living Translation reads verse five says this, God's voice is glorious in thunder. We can't imagine the greatness of his power. He wants to say, you know what, consider and hear attentively, be taken back at the greatness and the majesty of the power and the voice of God. Do you know the voice of God, Job? That's what he's telling him here. Verse 6, for he says to the snow, now he's going to say now and describe how the voice of God operates in power. There's one thing that we have to understand that the voice of God is followed by Power. In the voice of God is power now. And he says in verse 6, For he says to the snow, Fall on the earth. Likewise now to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength, he seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. God does the rain. He lets it fall wherever he wishes so that everyone knows his work. And he says, And he seals the hand of every man. He stops the hand of every man so that everyone knows his work. Isn't it interesting how God has sealed the work in the hand of every man? How He has slowed us down? Has he, how He has stopped us now so that we would know the work of His hands? Now He's telling them here, you know what? The Lord seals the work of every man in verse 7, that all men may know His work. It has caused us as we pause during the season to look to the Lord and say, Lord examine us. It has caused us to say, "Lord, thank you for pausing us, because now we're observing now what you are doing. What is God doing?" It causes man to ask the question, "What is God doing?" Now, from verse eight and nine, he says, "The beast goes into the dens and remains." in their lairs, or they remain in their dens now, these wild animals that they go in and they cover up during the storm and during this, uh, in their dens and in their caves now, as the storm comes and as the wind comes now, as the cold, cold comes now, from the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind or the storm and the wind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. And you see, just like the wild animals go and hide out in caves, in the storm, just like they go and hide out in caves uh, through the wind, just as they go and they submit to that storm and they go and hide, so should you submit to the Lord. You see how he's telling them that you should submit to the Lord even through this storm? Joe should submit to God the way that creation submits to God. And we should submit to God just the way creation submits to God. See, the storm is a beautiful place where we learn submission. Not only faith, but we also learn submission, to learn to obey the Lord. Now in verse 10, it says, by the breath of God, ice is given, and by the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds, and he scatters his bright clouds. Now God is in charge of everything, from his breath comes now this cold air or frozen air now. And he says he saturates the clouds or he fills the clouds with, with water and he scatters his bright clouds. They swirl about being turned into by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. Who is the one that directs these clouds? He guides them. He directs them. He fills them with water now. Verse 11, 10, 11, and 12 he says. He causes it to come whether for correction or for His hand or for mercy. And He'll cause a storm or water to come as He fills the clouds, either for correction or He'll cause them to come for mercy, to demonstrate His loving kindness or His unfailing love. But He'll do it for whatever He purposes. But who is it the one that's doing it? It's the Lord that's doing And that they may do whatever He commands them. Do you see how everything is commanded by God? Verse 12. That they may do whatever He commands them. Who is now commanding everything? It is the Lord that is commanding everything. And He's saying, look, it's, it's the Lord that saturates the clouds. It's the Lord that, that guides. It's the Lord that directs. And He commands them to do whatever He wants them to do over the face of the entire earth. And He does it either to demonstrate judgment or He does it to demonstrate loving kindness now. And this is what He's telling them. Either for correction or He does it for compassion. Now, he says in verse 14, listen to this, O Job. He's saying, Job, I need you to pay attention and consider the wonderful works of God. Pay attention, stand still, and consider the wonderful works of God. Can we underline that in our Bibles tonight? Stand still. Stand still and consider, and pay attention to the wonderful works of God. If there was ever a season where the church needs to stand still, and consider the great works of God, it would be today. It would be right now. In Psalms 46 verse 10, what does the psalmist say? Be still and know that I am God. you know the tremendous peace that comes over your mind and over your heart when you start to realize that God is in control, that He is in command now? Do you consider the wonderful works of God, the peace that it brings you, the security that it brings you, That I know that, yeah, through the storm that we're going through now, I can listen, I can stand still. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be worried. I, I don't have to be running. I don't have to be striving. I don't have to be living in panic. I can stand still and I consider now how wonderful are the works of God. Not only is He in command, but every work of Him is wonderful, is directed by Him. Do you know when God dispatches or when He directs them and causes the light of His cloud to shine? Do you know how He does this? How He controls now and He places the storms and lightnings? Do you know how He moves them with His perfect knowledge from one place to another with wonderful perfection and wonderful skill? Do you know how He does that? Now you don't know, Job. So consider the wonderful works of God and find peace in this. Do you know how the clouds are balanced, these wonderful works of Him who is perfect in knowledge and in skill? Now, verse 17, why are your garments hot when He quiets the earth by the south wind? Why have you spread out the sky strong as cast metal mirror? See, there are things that, that God does that, cannot, that, that are unbreakable that you don't understand. As a strong, now it says cast metal mirror this was an example of something that could not have been broken and what God does is unbreakable now you see he's telling Job Job you don't know as much as you think you know (laughs) and maybe we need to realize today that we don't know as much as we think we know and instead of trying to to get God to answer our questions we should fear him we should fear him Because there are a lot of times that we ask the Lord, and we keep asking the Lord, Lord, why? And instead of asking Him why, we should ask Him, Lord, how? How do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to go through this? Show me and reveal to me through your word. Teach me, God, how? Not so much why, but Lord, teach me how you want me to handle this. Now let's read here in verse 19 as He goes, Teach us what we should say to Him. (laughs) Job, let's see, since you're so smart and experienced, teach us, what are we gonna say to God? A God that directs everything. A God that I just explained to you. A God that, that perfectly now commands every drop of rain and lightning and storm and cloud. He directs it and he guides it. He's in command now, his wonderful works. Stands to look at his wonderful works and teach us, what are we gonna say to God? <laughs> We don't have much to say to God after we realize that it says here, for we cannot prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he be told that I wish to speak? Should you go and complain to God and say, God, I I need to speak to you. I have something to say. Or I have a case that I need to bring against you now. If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up now, he's saying. The new living translation it says this: Should God be notified that I want to speak? Can people even speak when they are confused? (laughs) Do you think that you can speak? You're so confused, Job. Now in verse 21, he goes on, even now men could, could not look at the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. He comes from the north as a golden splendor with God is awesome majesty. Do you think that you can even look at the sun in the sky and its brilliance and its strength? You can't even look at that. How are you going to look to God? Job, you keep saying you want to face God. Job, you keep saying you need you have something to say to God. Job, you keep saying that you have a case to bring against God because you want Him to declare you innocent already. Do you think you can stand before Him? You can't even look at the sky. How are you going to look at His majesty that is dazzling or that is now here a golden splendor with God is awesome majesty? And can you imagine the presence of God and having to face the Lord that way? He is clothed in majestic splendor. If you cannot directly look at the sun, how are you going to directly look to the Lord now? Now, verse 23, as for the Almighty, we cannot find Him or we cannot imagine His righteousness. We can imagine the righteousness of God and now His holiness. He is excellent in power and judgment, abundant in justice. Wow, he's talking about the justice of God. Look at how right on this theology is the study of God, he's saying we cannot comprehend how excellent God is in power. We cannot comprehend how just he is, how abundant justice he is. And even though he is so just, he does not oppress us. Even though he is so just, he does not destroy us. When you think about the powerful hand of God, how just, how righteous he is, and he still doesn't destroy us. Because a lot of people think, you know what, How come God is not giving? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Why is God allowing this? I don't deserve this. Well, just imagine if He gave you what you did deserve. (laughs) God is a just and powerful, almighty God. And still, He doesn't destroy us. Do you see why when you talk about the justice of God, you have to talk about the compassion of God? Now, in verse 24, He says this, Therefore now, with that being said, as he's finally going to finish, we thank God that Elihu is done. <laughs> Therefore, men, because of this, no wonder men fear Him. No wonder men revere and respect and have a reverence for God. God has no partiality. We've learned that God has no partiality. He is so just. And no wonder men respect and revere Him. And In fact, He says He shows no partiality to any. Who are wise, what does it say here? Of heart. Wise at heart. Are you wise at heart today? Are you wise at heart to be able to have respect and reverence for Almighty God? There there are going to come moments of very, very dark moments of pain in our lives. But in those moments, we ought to know who is in control. Who's sitting on the throne. That's why we say, who is sitting on the throne? God is still on the throne. If God is still on the throne, He is still in command. That's what that means. And today you have to remember who is in command. Sometimes we focus on who's ruling, but you don't realize who's overruling, and that is God. And He just finished explaining the greatness of God. Now we see that he, he explained the greatness of God, but he didn't bring any necessarily hope to Job. You see, God's Word always brings us light, and too often our words bring darkness. <laughs> What does the Word of God say in Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. When we read these chapters, we ought to know this is God's Word, and it is a light unto my feet, a light unto my path. It is a lamp that directs me even in the darkest moments of my life. I'm going to the light. When you are, when you are facing the darkest moments of your life, maybe when the power goes out, what do you reach for? The lamp. And you turn that lamp on because you know it's going to provide you direction now. I want to encourage you in the dark moments of your life. turn on the lamp now. Turn on the light and let it give you direction. Let it give you direction. In Psalms 119 and 130 it says, the entrance of your words. I love this. The entrance of your words give light. Have you ever entered a room that had just full of light out of darkness? The entrance of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple now. You see, words... Without wisdom are like lamps that shed darkness instead of light. Words without wisdom are like lamps that are shedding darkness instead of light and only make the situation worse. Joe's friend had made the situation worse. They didn't know how to speak the word of God in truth and in love for application. But now here from Job 38 to Job 41, and we're only going to just read briefly on ahead. We see that God is speaking now to Job. And as He's speaking now to Job, He's speaking to him out of the storm. And He confronts him with His presence. He's confronted with the voice of God in his presence here. And the answer to Job's situation wasn't an explanation of God. But the answer to Job's now situation was a revelation of God. And there are too many times we want to give an explanation when what we really need is a revelation of God. There are a lot of times, Lord, give me an explanation And God's saying, I don't need to give you an explanation. What you really need is a revelation of who I am so that you can trust me in the process. Because Job had become very independent at this moment, very arrogant. And you can get like that when you're trying to defend yourself for such a long time. You become very bitter and resentful now. And you start to say, well, I didn't deserve this. But his speech lacked a lot of humility. His speech lacked humility, Job's. Warren Worsby said it best. He said, knowledge of our own ignorance is the first step to true wisdom knowledge of our own ignorance is the, is the first step to true wisdom we must realize that there is a lot of things that, that we do know about God but there is a lot of more things that we don't know about Him that's why we have to trust God and the Lord speaking to him in the storm now He's going to come in a storm and speak a literal storm and speak to Job what does this tell us that even in the stormy days God speaks to us We oftentimes don't like it when the storm comes. We don't like it when the storm comes. But if we listen to the voice of God, if we listen to the voice of God in the storm, it will accomplish good things in our life. What is God accomplishing in the storm today? If you have ears to hear, you will hear what He has to say in the storm. This is a humbling experience of how much you need to learn about God. You see, Job wanted to reason with God. Lord, I need to reason with you. I need to build a case now. But what he really needed is to rest in God. And there are a lot of times where we are wrestling, trying to reason with God, trying to find an explanation. And when an argument in regards to our pain, instead of saying, Lord, I'm just going to rest in you. I'm not going to reason with you. I'm going to rest in you. Because when this storm is over, Job is finally ready to meet God. And he speaks to him out of the storm. Let's read really quickly 38 verse 1. And the Lord answered to Job out of the whirlwind and said, Where is the Lord answering Job? Out of the storm. The Lord is answering out of the storm. Underline that. Know that please. The Lord is answering out of the storm. And he says, Who is this who is questioning me with ignorant wisdom? With ignorant knowledge. Who's questioning my wisdom with ignorance now? He's saying, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Job, get up now. Job, be quiet and get up. I'm going to question you now. Just think about it. Job finally gets a revelation of God. And he says, are you questioning my will? Are you trying to demand answers from me? Get up. I'm going to question you because you are questioning my wisdom, my authority. Prepare yourself to give an account. I will ask you and you will answer me. Wow. Just think about how God wants us to deal with the situation. There are a lot of times that we want to fight and, and, and kick and scream and, say, and God says, all right, get up. You're going to answer me. You're going to, because you, you have to know who you're talking to. And God is going to tell, remind you you better remind yourself who you're talking to. When we go into prayer, we better remind ourselves who it is that we're talking to. When we're complaining, when we're griping, we better remind ourselves, who are you talking to? Because Joe is about to get reminded. <laughs> Listen to what he says, the Lord says, and he asked him 77 questions. We're not gonna go over all 77. We'll skim right through verse, uh, chapter 38, but look what he says now. He says, where were you? Job, you have a lot of complaints, but where were you when I lay the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know, or who stretched out the line upon it? Oh, who, who stretched out the horizon line or the foundations? Where were you when that all happened? When I created the heavens and the earth, where were you? Yeah, come on, you know how, how I did all of that, right, Job? Since you were there, <laughs> come on, Job. Tell me how much you, you know about how I made all creation he's correcting him here, and from verse four and five he says, "To what were its foundations fastened? how did I fasten the foundations or laid its cornerstone? How, what did I build on since you know so much, job? And in fact, he goes on he says, "When the morning starts saying together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, when the angels were ready to sing now, when I did all of this, where were you, Job? or who shut in the seas?" With doors, Or who kept the waters where they needed to be in the oceans now in verse 8. When it's burst forth all and issued now from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band. When I separated light from darkness and I separated the, the firmament now from the waters. Where were you Job? When I fixed my limit. Now I want you to pay attention to verse 10 here. Because God fixed limits to everything. And just like he had a limit to the ocean, now he has also a limit to the storm and the trial. And look what he says. Look at the compassionate, powerful hand of God in verse 10. When I fix my limit for it, and I set bars and doors, God fixes limits on every storm. God fixes limits on every trial, just like he fixed limits on, on the ocean. If God's hand can fix a limit on the ocean, don't you think he can fix the limit on your trial and on your situation? In fact, he goes on in verse 11. He says, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther. Wow. Think about God, what he's done, what he's doing right now. Because God's going to allow this trial that we're in as far as he needs it to go and not any farther. And that should give us comfort. When God says, you can go this far, but you can't go any farther. God is so in control. He's, he told the oceans, where were you when I set the 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 now oceans and the boundaries and the limits and how limited are its shores? He's reminding now Job of the greatness and the power of God, where God said, This far, but not any farther. That is the commandment, the the protection of God over now the earth, and the protection of God over your life. That he whispers, he says, This far, but not any farther. The protective hand of God. Do you see that? The protective hand of God. And where were you? And here you proud waves must stop. This proud rebellion, the waves, they had to stop there. Have you commanded now? Are you in command now? The morning silence your days began and caused the dawn to know its place. That it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaking out of it. Do you know all of this, why I created it, why I did it this way? It takes on the form like a clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and appraised and arm is broken. He's saying, do you know all these things on why I created them? Have you entered the springs now, verse 16, of the sea? Have you walked in the search of the depths? Of the gates of death and been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Do you know how close to death you can go to? Or did you now instill now death as well? Have you comprehended the breath of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Do you know how I created all of this, Job? Do you know how I have done this all, Job? Where is the way to the dwelling of the light? Or how did I create light? How did I start light? He's saying, in darkness, where is its place that you may take it to its territory, that you may know the path to its home? Tell me, do you know it because you were born then or because the the number of your days is great? Since you're so experienced, Job, since you know all of this, tell me. Why don't you just tell me right now? Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of uh, Of Hall? which I have reserved for the time of trouble for the day of the battle and way, by the way of the light is diffused or the east wind is scattered over the earth. Do you know how the wind is scattered over the earth? Do you have any idea of all of this, Job? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause the rain on the land where there is no one and the wilderness in which there is no man? I even send rain where there is no, no one living on the driest grounds. Do you know how I do that, Joe? Do you understand and comprehend this? To satisfy the desolate waste or cause the spring forth, the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of the dew? From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives its birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. Do you know where now ice and snow and all of this is coming from? Do you know how I created this out of nothing, Joe? Can you bind the cluster of the Pilates or, or, or Pleiades, excuse me, or lose the belt of Orion? Can you now bring out Maseroth in its season, or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heaven? Can you set the dominion over the earth? He's saying, Do you know how to move the constellations of the stars in the galaxies? Were you there when I formed everything of the nature and of the earth and of the light and of the stars? Where are you there when nature was created? Can you lift up the voice of the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightning that they may go? And they say, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the mind or who has given understanding to the heart? Did you create wisdom or understanding? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Do you think that you can number the clouds or the bottles of heaven when the dust hardens its clumps and clumps and the clods cling together? Do you understand? And do you think that you are now one that can understand all of this? Or were you there? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Can you feed all the wild beasts and the animals now? When the, here they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to light and wait, who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God, even when the birds they cry out to God and I feed them all? Do you know how to do that job? Do you understand how that is done and wander about for lack of food? Are you able to provide it for every one of them? See, you know what he's telling him here is that this really, what's important here is that he would understand that God is in charge. And there are a lot of things that he doesn't understand, that he doesn't know, and that he has to just trust him because God is in command, and he was in command from day one. He reminds them who is in control because all of this is under my care. All of this is under the dominion of God. All of this is under the dominion of God. Essentially, what he's doing now is he's telling him, Job, I want you to remember how limited your understanding of me is. I want you to understand how limited your understanding of me is. And I want you to know how unlimited I am in my nature. How unlimited God is in His nature. You see, all after this revelation, Job is humbled and he's brought to complete submission. And there are times that we want God to speak to us through just the best times, through the sunshine, but God sometimes must speak to us out of the storm. And you just remember how Jesus was in the the boat with his disciples and a storm came and Jesus woke up and he says, peace be still. Do you see how the Lord is always present in the storm to give us peace? There are times in our life that we ask ourselves, you know what, how come he's not giving me the answers that I want? How come he doesn't answer me to the questions that I have? And he might not give you all the answers to the questions in every situation that you have, but He will give you peace in every storm. He might not give you all the answers because He wants you to trust them, but He will give you peace in every storm. You see, it's not so much the answers that we need today as much as the presence that we really need. It's not so much the explanation that we desire that we really need, but it's the revelation of God that we desire That we should need and today we want to just pray that god would say lord that we would say lord help us trust you help us trust you in this trial help us trust you in the storm that we would hear your voice speak to us that you would hear your voice speak to us loud and clear just like you told your disciples in the midst of that storm peace be still and today we would say lord maybe you're not going to give me an explanation to this Maybe you're not going to tell me all the answers that I want to hear. You're not going to answer all my questions. But if you can give me peace, then I will praise you for that. Oftentimes, God will not give you the explanations. But Jesus will always give you peace. And today, that's what we need. We haven't come for explanations into the presence of God. We have come for peace into the presence of God. Job was being reminded here, Job, I don't need to explain anything to you. You weren't there when I created it. You're not there to command it. I am commander. I am author. I am the beginning. You have no idea what I'm doing. And your responsibility is to trust me. It's not the explanation. It's the revelation of God that we desire tonight. Can we pray right now that God would reveal himself to us even through the storm? Not so much even through the the moments of sunshine and beautiful days, but also in the moments of storm. Lord, we want to hear your voice. Because you are speaking and you are present in every storm of our lives. And you can say this far, but not any farther. This far, but not any farther. You put limits and boundaries to everything, God. And remind us that, that you have put limits and boundaries to everything in our life. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you because you remind us this, that you are in charge. That you say this far, but no further. This far, but no further. We trust you tonight, God. That you would give us, Lord, a revelation of who you are. We are done looking and searching and struggling and fighting for explanations. We want a revelation so we can trust you, Lord. We want to come into your presence for peace.